execute Order 66. Yes, Lord Sidious. Rex, it's Anakin. I feel like something terrible has happened. No! I'll do it. Rex, what's happening? Stay back! Find him. Find him. Fight. Find him! There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. That is true. This is me. My man, we are joined again by the TJ Wilson. Hey, hey, hey. TJ is a personality typing expert in Greeley, lover of all things pop culture. I mean, not all things. <laughs> What is one thing in pop culture that you are totally ignorant of? Or don't enjoy? Pop music. <laughs> like popular, I have no idea what's going on in the world of pop music. I could just say yeah. actually. I think all three of us are probably in the yeah. Just aging white guys. Well, I've always been this way. Like I wasn't allowed to listen to the cool music when I was really young. And then by the time that I could, like I couldn't afford it. <laughs> and I just like, I miss that whole thing. Simon and Garfunkel is my favorite artist of all time. My senior year of high school, my best friend and I went to see Neil Diamond. So um, yeah. yeah, I got, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> I was going to try and one up that and I, I will not be able to. That's good. We went to see Neil Diamond in, in sort of black tuxedo pants and like spangly Neil Diamond shirts that we found <laughs> and purchased. So I, I, you can't one-up that, Jeff. <laughs> True. Uh, I saw uh, Cindy Lauper open for Cher at the Believe Tour. Come on. That's, that's kind of that's awesome. It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> I saw Paula Abdul open up for Millie Vanilli. I saw Millie Vanilli in concert, lip-syncing. Okay. Those dudes were really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember. Or they were on something. One, I don't know if it was Millie Both? or Vanilli, but one of them was really having a hard time standing up. <laughs> Mouthing along to those words. <laughs> it was really hard. Girl, you know it's true. So suffice it to say, on the music side of pop culture... We're failing. <laughs> the three of us are lacking. <laughs> we're very much lacking. Out of the loop thing that we do have going for us is we're clearly experts in uh, in a galaxy far, far away. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> we're picking up with episode 11 of the seventh season. This is called Shattered. Uh, breaking this up into two parts because this is worthy of our investment here. Last time we left off with Ahsoka and Rex saluting one another and just stating this is a relationship with some depth. I want to take each of these in characters in turn to start us off this time. Starting with Rex, what is worth saying about Rex? He's one of a million clones, and yet this character matters in a different kind of way, yeah? Or perhaps stands out. One in a million? Ho-ho! <laughs> I got, how about this? I got a quick take on Rex. Do it. I think, the, the, I think Rex is the Captain America of the Star Wars universe quick take there is something about the principled nature the i'm willing to put my body and self on the line every single time and in fact we mentioned it 
in the last episode that a lot of the struggles that Captain America has about going back to normal society are exactly the sort of things that we hear out of the mouth of Rex. Yeah, he, he is he is in a lot of ways the perfect soldier. Well, and there we're not like, some information that we're not really privy to that will actually become important in just a couple of minutes is is some of the ways that he has sort of pushed back against leadership like there's something to be said for someone who can follow the hierarchy and like do what they're told like that's that's good and important in a militaristic kind of situation but also there's there's a lot to be said for people who are willing to speak their peace while also still following the chain of command Mm -hmm. and and rex like part of his story is is questioning the status quo and putting himself into the kind of conversations mm-hmm. where where he's not just a drone following orders like he he clearly has thoughts and opinions about the work that he's doing he is willing to follow orders but there's also there's a bigger picture that he's he's questioned and he's he's also said that he knows that there's something something going on that everyone doesn't know about yeah like there, there's more to this story than simply being a clone in an army what we haven't talked about yet in the story of the clone wars is mm-hmm. that he has actually done a lot of work to sort of push against the status quo we'll see that in an arc called the umbara arc which we're we're, we're going to cover it's a rex arc mm-hmm. and and then at the very end of the clone wars uh, some of the stuff that gets teased in this episode regarding fives and regarding Rex um, saying, I need to file a separate report comes out of he's his growth is different from a lot of the clones on exactly those fronts. Yeah. He ha- commands respect at a different kind of level and has also begun to to think about the war at a different kind of level than a lot of the other clones. And again, Rex is just 13 years old. We've said this in the past, but he's <laughs> still uh, age-wise very young, though he looks like an adult. Right. So I remember when this character got announced at one of those Star Wars celebrations, they were going to use the character in, an, in a new, um, what would you call that? Storyline. Storyline. When people heard his voice, uh, identifying himself, that that room just lost their mind. I haven't sensed a presence like that since the Clone Wars. My name is Rex. Yeah. I fought with Commander Tano during the Clone Wars. A friend of hers. Is a friend of Yeah. lost their minds in a way that they would for Luke Skywalker, in a way that they would, you know, for some of the more popular characters. And it seems to me that the ethics principle, the character of the clones at their highest, at their most ideal comes out in this character, the best face of the clones. Yeah. Yeah. There are millions of clones and Rex becomes a microcosm of the individuality of. And that's a good way to say that. This is what they could all aspire to and become, right? given time. Yeah. Second character here is, of course, Ahsoka Tano, who we haven't done the deep dive on. Um, Ahsoka is a Tergruda female. 
That is, she she has the mantras that have the three mantras. Uh, these, by the way, they're kind of like cat whiskers, but they can sense. They're they're an organic part of her body. Antennae. Yeah, cat antenna. Yeah. All of her species have these, but since she's force sensitive, they kind of like have this extra measure of power for understanding the surrounding environment. Um, she's brought into the Jedi Order by Plo Koon, who we're going to meet in a couple of episodes. This is uh, the the Jedi. Again, I describe him as the Jedi who's got the rotisserie chicken on his head. But wonderful-looking character, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as we know, she's taught for three years under the instruction and guidance of Anakin Skywalker. Again, she's 17 in this episode. Uh, she's 14 at the beginning of The Clone Wars. And we'll be diving into most of the important events that we get a chance to see in in film throughout the binge. So we're not going to spoil any of that here. But do you guys have any big thoughts on this character? I feel I feel like she represents, or or hopefully will represent, or or whatever you want to take it. So much of what the Jedi could be. She she's got the skills and the training and the combat knowledge. Yet she just routinely will go on to to be so kind and 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 heartfelt and and genuine and compassionate and empathetic in ways that we don't see Jedi being ever. And and I think mm-hmm. she's there, there's so much heart and soul in that character that it, that really has been lacking up to now. I think mm-hmm. in in the Star Wars universe, and she's just such a delightful character. Who, especially in this story, has the weight of the world on her shoulders? Like that's that's something that that is is clear throughout this whole episode. Is that and like with the music and the 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 way that they're telling the story is that 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 this young woman carries tremendous weight. Mm. Yeah, she was sent to go achieve an unachievable task. Right. Capture Darth Maul. It's a suicide mission. Right. I imagine we'll say this a handful of times, but it's just worth noting is Ahsoka's not just a character in the Star Wars universe. She is a set of glasses through which you see the rest of Star Wars. Hmm. We understand better who Anakin is and why it's so important that he has a conversion at the end of Return of the Jedi because of what we see through the character of Ahsoka Tano. Uh, two fun facts. One, when Dave Filoni pitched the character to George Lucas it was something Lucas had never thought of Anakin having a Padawan and then Lucas has daughters and so when Filoni said I would like to make Anakin's Padawan a female it took what they were planning on doing with the Clone Wars in a totally different direction than Lucas had initially thought and she immediately became very important to the storytelling yeah no kidding yeah thank goodness (laughs) The other thing that I think is real interesting is that Filoni routinely associates Ahsoka with Gandalf. Um, And if you look at Gandalf's storyline, it's real similar in that Gandalf has an older figure in his life, Saruman, who turns to the dark side, as it were. And what do you do as the second, as the younger? We see Gandalf go from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White. Uh, no spoilers there, but there is some. There's. I think there's we're okay that. on spoiling the Lord of the Rings. Oh, just gonna <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> I'm in no spoilers in terms of Ahsoka. Oh, uh, having, like, I think we're good on Lord of the Rings, man. <laughs> there's there are there are places where 
Gandalf moves from one space to another in, in Gandalf's journey. And Filoni has hinted at a handful of times that this is who Ahsoka is. And what's interesting about Gandalf is we never get to see Gandalf's pre-story. Yeah, that's right. When we meet Gandalf, he's he's older and he's leading hobbits. Uh, but you don't see like Gandalf as a young person. And what an interesting kind of character. Like what would Gandalf look like if they if we got to see their younger story with him battling alongside Saruman might look like this. <laughs> Anything else on a big picture wise on Ahsoka? I think you no, know, I think it's just, she, she I think it's just that she pay attention to her through this binge and uh, in general. She she's clearly going to be incredibly important to this story and multiple other Star Wars yeah. properties. So just pay attention and like her. I I won't be surprised at all if she appears in Kenobi. If she appears in Bad Batch, if she appears in some of the stuff they're doing with the Rangers of the New Republic, and if she reappears in Mandalorian, seems like they're... And then, of course, she's got her own TV show. Which I assume she'll be in that, yeah. <laughs> she might make an appearance. Like a weird like Star Wars waiting for Godot thing where she just never <laughs> shows up in her own series. Until <laughs> like, right at the very end. Like, what is this crap? <laughs> Myself included. Oh, man, people would be really mad. Well, again, we enter this episode in this time of tension. Rex and Ahsoka salute one another, and then an officer comes in and says, Commander Rex, the latest briefing has come in. Want to have a look? Might have an update on General Kenobi's efforts. You go. I'm sure it's more good news. And then the director shows Ahsoka alone, and she's on the bridge, and she begins to sense events occurring through the Force. And then we see Maul's eyes awaken. He's in his cell. He's in that that holding slab. The shell. And then we start hearing the dialogue from episode three, which again, what a beautiful use of that movie in this in the telling of this story. We hear Palpatine saying, "You must choose." And when do you say? Latner's performance of the What Have I Done. Did he do that? Yeah, it's Latner who's doing the What Have I Done here. I find it more, I don't know, maybe it's that I'm such a fan of the Clone Wars that it feels like it's more grounded. It's cool to see somebody get hit with a force vision like this. And I don't really feel like we've seen and heard it very often. Like we've seen somebody kind of staring out of a window having sort of a realization in the force but i but i really don't feel like we've seen a really clear moment of somebody getting hit with this out of the blue and it it wrecking them well i i would attribute that to us already knowing what they're experiencing mm, fair so like like luke has reach out moments with vader in in the original trilogy like there's snippets of this throughout but this is this is one of the first big moments where they're experiencing something that we've seen before as an audience 
and and we know how big of a deal it is so so like we for the first time really get to see like the the juxtaposition there is is us already knowing the weight of what they're feeling combined with the experience of sure I, I guess i just mean like it being able to see how much it affects her like i feel like the closest we get is an empire strikes back when when luke is levitating r2 and yoda and and the th- and he sees his friends being tortured that's only expressed in him dropping everybody and then right. him being like oh i've got to go like it's like it, the way they chose to animate right. ahsoka reacting to it that's what i'm really responding to like it's such mm-hmm. a physical and emotional reaction which yeah. i don't that's what I don't really feel like we've seen before. I, d- I do like what y'all are saying in terms yeah. of the setup. Because we're so familiar with episode three, when this takes place, the emotion is a little bit more there. Um, Obi-Wan feels Alderaan blow up, but we don't care about the Alderaanians. Right, right. I was going to say, at that point in Star Wars, we don't really care about Obi-Wan Kenobi that much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know, just in terms of seeing him react to Alderaan blowing up, we've known him for all of, what, 15 minutes? Yeah, the the whole point of that moment is that he can tell that a planet was just destroyed. I felt a great disturbance in the Force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. You better get on with your exercises. We then see the image of Palpatine in hologram form say, Execute. Order 66. And Rex looks up and says, Yes, Lord Sidious. And again, for the sake of the binge, this is the first time that we've seen a character that has been mentioned a handful of times. We've been talking a lot about Sidious, but have no idea who this person is or looks like. He does not appear in episodes 9 or 10. Right. Of season 7. So if, we're, if you were watching this for the first time, and you were starting here, which I think is, is the point for uh, the director, all of a sudden we see a villain... And apparently this villain has power over Rex, which we didn't know. And if we've seen it, uh, obviously, if we've seen episode three, then we will know what's going on here. But Rex, who was the person who had the highest quality of character, who we've, you know, it's like Captain America suddenly turns. He turns. And I feel like you can really emotionally feel this shouldn't happen. And and it does. Completely. Well, the um, I was just thinking the even in episode ten, Maul mentions Sidious, and there's there's this pretty significant aura about just the name mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of of this this guy who's behind who's got this master plan and is clearly going to be a very significant force of evil. Yep. And then Rex says his name. How does Rex know his name? That's a big yep. deal. Yeah. I guess that this is this is worthwhile in terms of and we'll see the, the chips, the inhibitor chips here in a minute. But Rex doesn't know Sidious's name in episode ten. He's part of that little powwow that they have right. where Kenobi is saying we think that Darth Sidious is the one who has played off both sides against one another. But here he does. Here he knows and obeys. Right. <clears throat> that has to just be because that 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 switch gets flipped. Yep. Right. Doors open from the bridge and Ahsoka comes running in. Rex, it's Anakin. I feel like something terrible has happened. And there's the Obi-Wan Kenobi line from New Hope. And Rex drops his helmet. 
and Ahsoka knows something is wrong. Rex? The other clones, all with helmets painted to match Ahsoka's colors and symbolism, start to raise their guns on Ahsoka, and Rex says, No. I'll do it. Rex, what's happening? Stay back! Rex pulls his two blasters and, with tears in his eyes, says, Find him. Find him. Fox. Find him! And then he starts to fire at Ahsoka. Before you go into this, the voice acting by Bradley D. Baker is exceptional. Mm-hmm. And, the, like, mm-hmm. I feel all of this and never think of it as an animated performance yeah yeah simply exceptional i think being able to see his face as order 66 gets enacted is really interesting because Mm -hmm. everybody else both in this show and in episode three is still behind the helmet yeah Mm -hmm. so seeing like you said there's the tears in the eyes and there seems to be the not reluctance but just the remorse for having to do that but he's still gonna do it but there's Mm -hmm. still there's some there there's still some of the guy in there Mm -hmm. that recognizes he's got two blasters pointed at his i'm gonna say best friend one of his best and only friends yeah he's clearly fighting this what is essentially mind control it's everyone it's all of the clones but knowing that rex has the capacity to fight it gives it some kind of like it, it makes it so much more complex mm-hmm. and it also makes the turn that much more yeah. devastating. Yep. Cause yeah. It, yeah it, like on the heels of the scene where they salute each other and then he, he sh- tries to kill her and he's clearly trying not to try. Yep. And, kill Which, her. and that just shows the power and control of the empire or the emperor or Darth Sidious which are all the same person. This guy is clearly the, we've talked about the ultimate soldier and clearly very, very strong. And as strong as he is and as much as he's fighting, he's unable to not pull the trigger. Right. Which which just shows the control and the power of this thing. Right. Right. This might be another Captain America throwback that Captain America isn't able to pick up Thor's hammer. Come on, Cap. He can budget. And he can budget because of his character in that moment there's a power here and daniel and i tease this all the time in terms of we're going to have long conversations about love in the star wars universe at some point but isn't that what's making rex able to for a brief instance refrain from from killing his friend is he and give her a clue yeah there's a bigger force at hand here is is bucky barnes a better analogy for rex than uh captain america in, in the, like the, the winter soldier, like also sure. clearly a soldier, like yeah, bred to be a soldier. Stuff. Yeah. Sort of superhuman in a way that then also has this thing inside of his head that right. he can't switch off as much as you want him to. And you know, he's the close friend of this character. So that, that yeah. type of, that type of story is, is so interesting. Find him fives. Fives is a new character that we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute, but Rex starts firing. The action in this scene is some of my favorite in all of Star Wars. Again, just the movement here I just think is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, She dodges the bolt, launches at him, slams his head against the hollow table, 
and Rex falls to the side. Ahsoka then jumps up on the table, and the lighting here is just wonderful. It's very dark, and so her her lightsabers are really popping, and she's spotlit because of the table, and she is deflecting laser bolts from the two guards that were beside Rex. She then slides the door closed, keeping them out, but then another door from the side opens, and a half dozen clones come in firing, and then Rex stands up, and all of them are firing at her in this elevated position, and she's clearly surrounded. This not only shows you she's vulnerable, it also shows you just how deft and powerful she is to be able yeah. to uh, hit all of these bolts coming at her. And at the same time, as she is deflecting the bolts, she begins spinning and cutting a hole in the ceiling with her sabers and just launches herself through it. It's again a it's a it's a Luke image there from Empire where Luke when fighting Vader jumps up into the tube ab uh, above him. I know it's wizards with laser swords and <laughs> what? And it's animated. But the impressiveness of her deflecting the bolts and aiming the deflections mm -hmm so that she can create a hole above mm -hmm. her and like it it's it's really impressive animation like it's it's really fun to watch yeah this is it's that yeah. there are handfuls of moments in this arc and in this episode where i've said this a couple of times in in previous episodes but you just get reminded why you like star wars every once in a while you get these moments yeah. where you're like oh right this is why this is some this is a set of stories i've been in love with since i was 10 they're just so cool yeah and so well done and and you, you you care about her so much even not knowing the character super well watching this episode you're just so invested in her it's a relief when she finally jumps through that hole yeah seeing seeing yoda lift the x-wing out of the swamp is super impressive seeing what's his name who is blind knock out all of those stormtroopers is awesome <laughs> seeing Ahsoka at a disadvantaged position deflecting laser bolts from all around her to create an escape route is pretty incredible it's stellar yeah this is where Filoni is choosing to use the laws of the galaxy in ways where he's not expanding them. Mm -hmm. One of the real problems with some of the sequels, in my opinion, is that they keep adding new force abilities. Yeah. And that's a mistake. He's using the, the force abilities that are presently on the table and saying, with these tools, what can I do in terms of telling the story and making things look amazing? And again, just capturing it wonderfully. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing that's real tasty, and this is, again, for those who love Star Wars animated and got to see this for the first time is they don't use the John Williams music ever in the Clone Wars. I mean, they may borrow real small lines or influences, but it's mostly Kevin Kiner constructing his own stuff. But they are using John Williams music heavily in this arc. Mm -hmm. And this is the and yeah. the the music that is playing behind this scene is comes from you know, the rest of Order 66 and the death of all these other clones and other spheres. And here it just is, it's again one of those pieces that's just interlocking all the events into this one cohesive spot. But I got real emotional watching this the first time because the music was music that I knew from a different spot 
and the emotions are surrounding that. And here it's placed in this new context with a character I really care about. And again, just masterfully, masterfully put together. Yeah. Clone says to Rex, Sir, are you all right? Fine. Just tired as all. I want you to go to the detention level. Execute more. Yes, sir. Which is just a badass thing to say. <laughs> I mean, it's just... And also like, oh, they're, it, this isn't about yeah. killing the Jedis. This is killing all Force people. Yeah, We're not messing around here. And also, finally, somebody's going to kill Maul. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Again. One of the things that Christopher Nolan does with the music is he just keeps the tension going with them. If you watch mm. Dunkirk, it's just throughout <sighs> the whole thing. It's just click, 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 click. And that's what they do with the music here. It's just over and again, the music just does not stop. It kicks up again in a different kind of way to create the, you know, the tension of you are being hunted because that's the situation now. Ahsoka is going to get hunted by these clones and it makes it all the more tense because we know how powerful Rex is when he's leading men and he says to the company of soldiers there guys all right we know ahsoka tano's on board she's been marked for termination by order 66. under this directive any and all jedi leadership must be executed for treason against the republic any soldier that does not comply with the order will also be executed for treason understood yes sir there are only so many places to hide on this ship gather up search parties Fan out and move section by section. Come on. Let's get moving. And Rex, who we have always pulled for, begins walking towards the camera in a very intimidating posture. And then we cut to the next scene. Again, just perfectly captured. I like how I I like that they have him without a helmet mm-hmm. on when he receives Order 66. And like he drops it while he's in the midst of fighting and the the mind yeah. control, and then like he gives the commands and then puts his helmet back on, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, now we're dealing with someone who's fully under con- the control yeah. again. That's a good call. Like he's just another clone trooper. Now. Yeah, you, you've lost the guy at that point. He's got some Terminator at that moment. It's like now you're programmed to hunt and destroy. This is the real purpose of the Yeah. Clone. Yeah, it's a, it literally. Like it, it has literally yeah. all been leading up to this moment. This is going to be kind of similar to New Hope, where in New Hope you have characters who are on the run. They're in the Death Star and they're running from all the stormtroopers who are trying to find them. It's kind of the same thing going on here, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's Yeah, that wasn't as interesting as I thought. It is most science fiction. <laughs> You're in a spaceship being chased. You know, it's a particular like like intentional variant for me because they set it up as an escape, but as we find out, that's not her right. intention. Yeah, so like like they they he says destroy all the escape pods, and then just hunt her down. It's like well, but then later, that's not what she's going for. That's a good call. She's not trying to escape because she's smarter than that. Yeah. Her purpose is is redemption. She wants to redeem her, the uh, the clones who obviously have committed themselves to her, but are possessed. There's a great possession. I mean, there's a great demonic image. Palpatine is a satanic kind of figure who has possessed good people. 
um, and she's going to free them. One of the things that happens in the Ahsoka book is she defeats a Sith taking the Sith's lightsabers. And the way that Sith lightsabers turn red is because the Sith tortures the Kyber and the Kyber bleeds and this creates the red blades. And when we see her in Mandalorian and when we see her in Rebels, her lightsabers are white because she has actually gone to the Kyber and healed them. She's, she's stopped the bleeding of the, the Kyber. She's a redemptive. So anyway, redemptive character. Mm-hmm. Well, and even I brought, I brought that up in the, the first part of this episode about like, like Obi-Wan Kenobi wants to fight Anakin. She wants to save Anakin. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Because yeah, I think that that just that that's a good backup for not backup, but that that's that's the foundation of who she is. I think that she's she is what the Jedi Order should be functioning at its best: compassion as well as all of the other things. Mm-hmm. It's worth talking a little bit more about uh, about Order sixty six here. It had been the case that for forever in, with Star Wars fandom, the Destruction of the first Death Star is kind of the the big event. It's the big event around which all of the timelines centered. But I think it's worth arguing that Order 66 is the most important event in all of Star Wars canon. Is there any reason to, to argue against that? I say yes because like it, it's more complicated than that. Without the creation of the clones in the first place, there is no Order 66. Without Palpatine being elected chancellor, there is no Order 66. You may not be aware of this, but sometimes historians study the things that happened leading up to significant Mm -hmm. events as being more important than the significant events themselves. Sure. Yeah, this is the the culmination of all the things building to this moment. In the same way that that even blowing up the Death Star may be may not be as important as the guy who created the the weak right. spot. <laughs> like that is actually a more significant moment in the resistance than actually blowing up the Death yeah. Star. Galen in Galen Erso's work more important. There's a we in future episodes, Daniel and I talk about stuff with uh, Enigma machines mm-hmm. and World War Two and mm. How that's yeah. where where is the war actually won? It may not be in the decisive battles that you think. Just to ask the question, then to to go off of what TJ is saying, does that then mean Palpatine being elected and then him not being killed or apprehended by Mace Windu and being able to go enact Order sixty six? Those are the two biggest ones. I think there's an argument to be had there. What actually affects the most things? Right. It's 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 this guy's rise to this guy's rise to power has been the catalyst for everything. Right. And sometimes it's not the hurricane that is the most notable event. It's actually the flap of the butterfly's wing. Yeah. That caused the hurricane. Order 66 is that it's the thing, it's the event that everyone knows where they were at when it happened. I in sure. terms of storytelling, I don't know that there's a whole lot of these that take place. The only one I could think of was Thanos's snap in the MCU. Mm-hmm. It affects everybody differently in different places and at different times, and it's very personal. Mm-hmm. But it affects everybody. Yeah. For me, the only event that I can think of of that sort is 9 11 
in terms of my own personal sure. history. It's like this affected me personally because X, Y, and Z, and everybody I know has has a story of that sort. You know, for our parents' mm-hmm. generation, my parents' generation, it was where were you when Kennedy was shot? Sure. But this is much more in your face. It's more like Thanos' snap that I lost my friend right in front of me. Or with the Jedi's, it's here are the, the what happens with the other Jedi's, you know, those that survive, this will be the worst moment of their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yoda's going to lose everything. Obi-Wan loses everything. We're going to meet Kanan Jarrus. He's going to lose everything. Clearly, Ahsoka has to go into hiding. I mean, even for Anakin, he loses everything. Palpatine wins, though. <laughs> yeah, because Pal- Palpatine always wins <laughs> throughout literally all of the movies. Well, except I guess except for Return of the Jedi. But <laughs> even with uh, you know some of the stuff that they do with the video games in Jedi Fallen Order, the primary characters, the the whole story of Jedi Fallen Order ends up revolving around this this event. Anyway, central, just kind of central. Uh, Thanos is sure. snap. I mean, the Battle of New York is kind of that way for the MCU as well in terms of it affects everything. That you see in the Spider-Man mm-hmm. movies, for example, or the yeah, the Netflix shows and every yeah, right. But real interesting. I mean, in terms of storytelling, that's super interesting. Yeah. Well, we cut to Maul's prison cell. Clones begin to unlock his slab. They aim their blasters from behind them. Ahsoka walks in, knocks out the two clones. She looks at Maul like a badass. <laughs> Just she is in total control in this situation, which is. Something Maul is not experienced, I don't think, with somebody else being the person. This is how things are going to (laughs) go. Don't make me regret this. And Maul is surprised. You... (laughs) You survived. Is this your doing? Choose your words carefully. No, no, it was not my doing. I do not know what has occurred, but surely you have felt it. The voices crying out. (coughs) The death. The clones turned against me. Even Rex. I don't know why they just suddenly warned themselves. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. (laughs) I was not privy to my master's. But now, now I see it. He turned the Jedi's own army against them. Well, you've done the right thing by coming to me. Only together can we survive this. Now, if you will follow my lead. You don't understand. I'm not here to team up with you. I need a diversion, and you're it. Now go cause some chaos. It's what you're good at. I think this is, a, again, just a fantastically constructed dialogue. Yeah. There's exposition. There's character moments. It's perfect. And and there's, like, in, in a story where we're literally coming to the end of seven years of telling Ahsoka's story, we're building complexity into her yeah. character. Like, Maul's interactions with everybody up until this point, he thinks he has the upper hand. And he still thinks he has the upper hand, but this is the first time that he's confronting someone who does not give a crap about him or about doing what's right. Like like in in facing even in facing her in the past, 
but like each time he faces the Jedi, like they're stopping him because he's evil and and he has the upper hand because of that. And sh- that's not what she's here for. She doesn't even see him as a threat. Right. Which is which is nobody's reacted to this guy like that ever. We earlier we talked about uh, Mace Windu and his sort of using people as tools, like the way that he he sends Anakin, um, the way that he sort of views her in that conversation of like her abil- her the fact that she caught Maul is like, thanks for use doing that tool. Now I'm going to put you aside, and and here she is treating Maul in the same way <laughs> but it's like it's it's power now instead of uh emotional insensitivity is like she has something more important to do and she's going to let Maul do what he does and, and I said this two episodes ago as well what I love about these moments is you have characters like Darth Maul Darth Vader Emperor Palpatine extending a hand and saying, join me and we're going to conquer, control, and destroy everything. And I love that she has made it and, again, is making it very clear. I'm not here to join you. I'm here to work yeah. next to you. You you have nothing that I want other than for you to... To, for you to achieve something that will make it... that will make my goal achievable. Like, like you said, he's a yeah. tool... Um, I just, I just love that she doesn't even consider sacrificing her values and the ethics of what is good to win. She's still herself. Yeah. So often in the Star Wars universe, the phrase "join me" is a moral quandary. Yeah. And here it's like, "Join me." No, that's not what I'm here for. Like it's a complete dismissal. Yeah. And it's great. It's a beautiful moment. But but also just understand, like I said, understanding the value of what working next to him has for the future. Right. It's just really smart. Just so brilliant. Right. We said this in, in a previous episode that the villains in film are often the characters who know the most and care the least. And one of the things that we see with heroes who really rise up in our hearts and minds is that they can compete with villains intellectually at their same level because the villain is so smart and she clearly cares about Anakin and she cares about the rest of these clones. And yet she is ahead of him right here in the chess match. Yeah. And in fact knows how to control him though. He is certainly a character that does not want to be controlled. Right. And yet she (laughs) is still able to get him to do what she needs him to do. And And it does feel like he's impressed by it. Yeah. There you go. And stuck by it. Like he has, he doesn't really have a choice. True, but but even just his, as, as much as he sort of turned against Palpatine at this point, there's still a sort of reverence for someone getting the. Maul feels like one of those British villains that that even as they're bested, they're still kind of like, all right, well done, right. Nevertheless, well done, right. And I like that 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 this she is a character that commands that. Yeah. One last note here, just because this is a scene that highlights it. Again, the acting talent of these two is is just top shelf. Darth Maul, though voiced by award-winning actors in episode one, comes across pretty flat. The actor here is uh, Sam Witwer, and he makes this character robust as a personality. Oh, completely. What, what awards has Ray Park won? I don't know. 
Ray Park just as a as an aside. Fun fact: Ray Ray Park doesn't uh, oh. do the voice. You're right. So they do something. It's the guy who's in Spy. He's in Spy as the the gentleman who is constantly pursuing Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> oh, it's Peter Serafinowicz. <laughs> That's who voices Maul. God, that guy's good. <laughs> And has done a tremendous amount of voice work. And is is uh, good enough as the tick to give Patrick Warburton a real run for his money. Which is, that's saying a oh, lot. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam Witwer is, as Maul, throughout Clone Wars and into Rebels. His stuff in Rebels is, is again, top shelf. Um, it's is, so good. just brings so much life to this character. And one of the reasons that the end of Clone Wars... The seasons five and season seven, the reason that they work as some of the best Star Wars there is, is because it, they have a good villain, and it's this actor. Mm-hmm. This actor brings yeah. so much quality to it and just elevates everything because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he he creates a sort of Shakespeare villain out of this character that is... That, it, that has a Laurence Olivier level of yeah. weight around him and importance, and it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Ashley Eckstein, who plays Ahsoka, likewise has a very difficult challenge that she has to p- play a young, you know, teenage, growing, slowly maturing character over time and got so much fan trash after, you know, the Clone Wars movie was released, and yet she consistently just doubled down on this character and through her efforts created, you know, what I think most people would think is just a, it's easily a top five Star Wars character. Easily. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, That's a courageous achievement for, for that actor. There was a fun Twitter exchange between her and Rosario Dawson after Ooh. The Ahsoka episode of The Mandalorian came out. Just just mm. her reaching out and acknowledging how good of a job she did in that episode. And then her kind of responding, saying, like, well, it was, you know, you did the work already. Yeah. I, like, even in, in uh, Rosario Dawson's vocal performance, while she's certainly not doing an impersonation of, of Ahsoka from the series, the, there's moments where the cadence and the way in which she talks feels very similar mm. to how like you, you see it a little bit. And it's the, the reverence for the work that came before her is pretty, pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Which I don't think most actors would do. Sure. You know, most people would be like, I want to put my own stamp on what this is, as opposed to I want to come in and honor what's been done before me that, that, that works. I've, I wish I had prepped this before, but this actually shows some of the quality and the achievement of Eckstein's performance that you have other actors picking up the torch. Vito Corleone comes to mind. It's because he's so great, you know, that uh, Brando's so great in The First Godfather that you pick up that character in Godfather 2. Yeah. Um, Shatner is so great that, you know, Christopher Pine picks up that torch. And you're creating this. All I'm saying is that doesn't happen very often that you create a character out of nothing. And it's so impressive that other fantastic actors are essentially given the keys to that and say, take this wonderful thing that so-and-so created and, and, and continue to build, build it. Yeah. Or if you're very lucky, you just get to come do it in real life 
as well as in the in the animated film. In the case of somebody like Katie Sackhoff, she just gets to come in and do it. True. If you don't follow Katie Sackhoff on social media, you should because she's delightful. Huh? And like I said, again, this is just part of my episodes long now uh, attempt to shower her with so much praise that she has no uh, recourse <laughs> other than to come do this podcast. Yeah, good luck. Or I guess even like Patrick Stewart coming back, you know, they didn't say we're going to recast Captain Picard. Right. They say, we're going to tell a story that takes place after this so we can have you. Like, every once in a while, you do such a good job that they can't replace you. Like, Katie Sackhoff or Patrick Stewart or... There you go. No, that's true. I'm trying to think of comparable stuff. It's, I mean, it's it's just the elevation of how amazing uh, some of the work that goes into animated voice acting is. Robin Williams, after... Aladdin, people were losing their minds in terms of what can we possibly do to honor this person who's doing something we haven't seen before? Or and uh, the answer his... to that was in Return of Jafar, you cast the guy who does the voice of Homer Simpson, and it's fine. <laughs> is it though? It is. It, it is. It is. It is if you take it purely on what he does, it's it's funny. It ain't Robin Williams. Yeah. Well, Soka steps out of the cell with her two sabers. Maul looks at them and says. Can't give me a fighting chance. <laughs> I'm not rooting for you. Now get going. Can I can I just say this is might be my favorite line in all of Star Wars. Oh! Because like the less than contempt that she displays <laughs> with this one line, yeah. it's just like she's not nice. She's not kind in this moment she might have said i hope you die it's it just it there's there's complexity to it there's it's not even vengeance it's i don't care if you live it's what you said and i'm not going to help you he's only a tool like you said a moment ago right i don't care what happens to you right i need to do something else and you are going to do whatever it is you want to do, and I'm not going to help you. Our relationship is over now. It's just, it's a beautiful line. It really is. I love it. Yeah. Again, that Christopher Nolan style music begins pulsing, and we're moving, and we see clones who are running in the hallways, which I realized this rewatching that the, the running of the clones creates an anxiety in the episode that I think is real subconscious. Mm. But we see them looking for Ahsoka, and it feels like, a again, it, it's kind of got that New Hope throwback here. And we see Rex, who's walking confidently through the hallways, and he's flanked by 501st soldiers, a clone with Ahsoka's colors. Uh, leading three other clones says, Sir, we finished our sweep at the detention level. The prisoner has escaped. No sign of Tano or Maul. Rex, who had commanded Maul be executed. Destroy the escape pods and increase security on the hangar decks. Run away, sir. Cut to another hallway with Ahsoka. She opens up a storage area filled with droids. I'm real curious what you guys think about this scene. Um, she steps in, ignites the droids, essentially turns them on. One of them, named R7, starts beeping and showing her affection. R7, I need your help. And apparently the droids already know what has happened. I don't know. I, I don't know why the clones are doing this. But we 
might be able to do something about it. And she gives them volition. Are you sure you want to help? It could be dangerous. Okay, let's get started. They affirm, and then she begins doing detective work. What do you think about this, this move in this episode? I think it just feels like another moment where you realize how sharp and how smart and how she's kind of the ultimate warrior in these situations because not only is she able to have that fight where she's deflecting laser bolts and using it to create a thing where she can jump through it through Mm. a hole in the ceiling in the midst of that she heard what he said she heard what rex said about fives she kept that information and now she's now she's taking the time to do the intellectual work as well as opposed Mm -hmm. to just slicing things in half with lightsabers like she's 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 a fighter but she's also like you said a detective it's just another really really excellent moment and and knows like she found her only allies on this ship that's what i see here too which also this scene really flies in the face of my very strongly held position that droids don't have souls (laughs) ha We've had a whole conversation about that. If you want to argue with me about this, this scene is one of the places where you need to start. (laughs) This is what they do a lot in the Clone Wars is make things kind of bring you in kind of childish almost scenes and even episodes. Like this is I when I first saw this, I was like, oh, they're kind of making this for the kids. You know, you bring in some droids and make it, you know, a little bit less rough around the edges but what they do with these droids over time this is actually them you were saying it she doesn't have any other friends on the ship and not only does she experience some friendship here some connection she knows these droids by name and cares about these droids but the 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 arc of these droids for the two episodes that they're here is is really powerful and they, like, the first thing that happens when they wake up is they're like, what the F is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they doing this? You need somebody to share your befuddlement at events in the world yeah. sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, we see images projected by R7. We see Nala Say, who is a Kaminoan scientist, who we are going to meet in future episodes. This is the first time we see the Kaminoans in the binge, and we'll spend significant time on them soon. But here we simply see this alien-like creature, and she's giving exposition and just giving us the lowdown, and she says, An independent investigation confirms that the cloud trooper CT-5555 experienced a malfunction with his inhibitor chip. Both the Senate Committee and the Jedi Council have accepted these findings. Sometimes the the Senate's just always just just not understanding what the movements of uh, of reality are. Apparently, here the Senate will always let you down. <laughs> the Senate's just not. Should we say what today's date is so future people can know why we think that? <laughs> I may cut that. It's just kind of fun to, to just keeps coming. This whole episode is about this. However. And of course, that's Rex. Anything we're saying about what Nala Say says here? I think it conveys the fact that there's so much uninterest and complacency in the Senate and in the Jedi themselves. They're like, okay, whatever. Or corruption. Well, sure. Sorry, I, I guess I'm. I guess I meant that in what I was saying as well. Like, it's just. Right. It's sure. just such a like. There's just so much. The things aren't working the way they're meant to be working. That it it just went un uninterested. This communicates that there's clearly a cover up of something really really important. 
And if the Jedi Council was like, oh, that's okay, then either like there's severe corruption or significant neglect happening on their part. Or both. I think like, right. I think maybe corruption in the Senate, neglect in the Council. Right. That's what I think as well. Worth noting here, one, I love this being up front in the binge because it's just going to color all of our experiences of both the Senate and the Jedi Council from here on. But second, one of the very first things we see in all of Star Wars is that boardroom meeting on top on the Death Star in which Tarkin comes in and announces... The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the Old Republic have been swept away. The regional governors now have direct control over their territories. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. And what are the rebellions? It's like, you have made these decisions over and over again, and now you've lost all of your power because you're not standing for what is right and good. Continuing to abdicate your responsibility will eventually mean that you don't have any more responsibility. February 13th, timestamp. <laughs> we see uh, a clone pictured in the hologram who we're going to come to know as Fives. Fives is going to be one of the more important clones throughout the binge. Um, he's seen here. Get it? Because his numbers are all fives. He's got a big tattoo on his face as well. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see it now. We also hear of the inhibitor chips. Um, we're going to see more of that here in a minute. Ahsoka says... R7, bring up that report. R7 tweets back. It's sealed. Try Anakin's passcode. 8108. This is a moment where the creators are marking a moment that's important to them. The Clone Wars movie was released on August 10th, 2008, and this is the end of the Clone Wars. And they're just marking it with, uh, with that number. But it's also the case that she is elevating Anakin's passcode. And what the Clone Wars movie is about is about Anakin meeting Ahsoka. And so the fact that Anakin's passcode has something to do with Ahsoka is, again, just one of those touches of there's connection between these two human beings. It also just seemed to me like I've used coworkers' passcodes to like make <laughs> photocopies before. <laughs> Like, like I'm not. I'm not even really trying to be funny. Like that's 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 what I thought it was. Like, no, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> my reaching guess uh, interpretation of this moment was that I I bet Obi Wan's passcode wouldn't have continued to work. It already they had already uh, called. Yeah, security. they purged the system of all the dead Jedi. Oh, but Anakin's not removed from that system yet. Put all of his stuff in in. Hefty trash bags yeah. threw them out of the Jedi temple. Sorry, your passcode doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so you're not in the system. That is, yeah. See again, Ahsoka just showing her intellectual quality here. We see Rex in hologram form and he says, I already know this report's going to fall on deaf ears. Apparently Rex is wrong. But I owe it to Fives to record what I saw. I'm not sure I believe it myself, but... There's a possibility that the inhibitor chips the Kaminoans put inside us have a purpose that we don't yet fully understand. In good news, they're gonna they're gonna play that whole story out, fives and the inhibitor chips near the end of the Clone Wars, and it's really quality, and we'll get there uh, at some point. But this is all foreshadowing for us 
and I think it's worthwhile. Do you guys, you guys got thoughts on this? It's such a classic cinematic moment too, where I feel like there something happens, and somebody hacks into a computer, and there's video footage of a scientist or of a doctor mm. or of somebody saying this was a problem we found and no one would listen to us. Oh, true. Until the last minute. And it's technically too late that you find the video proof saying we knew the giant lizard, the big gorilla, the deadly virus, the the whatever, whatever, whatever. The murderous crows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Q Dr. Malcolm. Yeah. yeah. We're going to see this in a minute, so I don't want to hit it too hard, but the inhibitor chip is why the clones turn. Uh, there's apparently something in their brain that has been pre-programmed and wired to when this Order 66 is executed, that they would do their programming, and this has been put in them since birth. It's, again, one of those things, I don't know that I can name another story in which that takes place, in which before you were born, you were already your freedom was going to be taken from you at a certain moment alongside everyone who is like you that's a that's real just a real interesting fairly unique move i mean there's lots of movies about slavery okay that's that's and that's control. the that's the only that's the only like similar thing i can think of that it's like yeah you're you come into existence knowing that your identity and uniqueness and, and autonomy over yourself is going to be removed. Yeah. That's the only parallel I can th- think of. Yeah. You know what it's like then on that front? It's more like zombie films where you've been bitten. Now you can't mm. control your body anymore. And now you're going to kill the people that well, you love it, most, in fact. Yeah, there you go. This also speaks to the expendability of the clones. Yeah. Because they've spent four years fighting a war... And then this switch is flipped, mm. and they have a completely different purpose now. That's something that Daniel and I speak uh, about extensively in future episodes, is that a lot of the villains here, sure. their dehumanizing posture towards the clones unveils that they're villains. Mm-hmm. And it's real yeah. similar to New Hope in terms of people's attitude toward the droids. The droids are just slaves. You know, We don't want your right. kind in here. Um, is something the bartender says when Luke comes into the bar. Um, there's that sure. that attitude. It just shows you this is these are the people that are terrible. And then we get a hallway scene. There's a couple great hallway scenes in Star Wars recently, and I'm not gonna lie. There's something special about seeing Vader wreck some rebels, but in terms of choreography, creativity, and sheer beauty, I am putting this one ahead of Vader and Luke and Mandalorian season two. I love it. Again, I love mm. everything about this scene. I think it is so well done. Yeah, I, yeah I'm fine with that. I'm not going to push back. The music, again, has that pulse and it's tense. We see the clones. There's about a dozen clones that are falling back. So we know something is coming and we can't see it. And because we know that the clones are at least capable and them being afraid <laughs> really puts an extra measure of tension here. And, of course, we know that it's Maul. We know that Maul is coming for him. And the music is pulsing. And the clones are firing at this unseen Maul around the corner. And they're scrambling. And then five of them are force-pushed over as Maul rounds the corner to come down the hallway. 
He then rips a panel off the wall with the force. It bludgeons a clone from behind to the floor, and then Maul uses it as a shield as he starts approaching the terrified clones. And then like Vader, he force throws a clone to the ceiling, chucks him to the side. He then turns the wall panel horizontal and flings it at a set of three clones, decapitating all three of them. Their heads just kind of bounce on the floor there. Maul then pulls two more panels off the wall, crushes a set of clones in the middle of the hallway. He then pulls those panels towards himself, again his shields that start blocking laser bolts. He then takes one of them, throws it at another clone, and cuts him in half and pins him to the wall. And he's just hes just destroying human beings here in a very creative way. And imagine what he would have done if he had been given a fighting chance. <laughs> Seriously. He's like, that the scene with Vader in at the end of uh, Rogue One, it's Rogue mm-hmm. One, right? Where Vader comes down the hallway and just wrecks the rebels. The scene with Luke in the Mandalorian coming, that they're they're great scenes. Maul doesn't have a yes. weapon. Yeah, he's he's literally armed with only his arms. Yeah, that the impressiveness and and the sheer destructive confidence of just casually walking forward into a firefight and knowing that he's going to win or at least not get harmed like uh, it's it's beautiful and like the the way the all of that action plays out is just like like this is a guy who is out for blood and he is going to wreck some dudes it's great yeah the I don't I I can't think of anything that really parallels this in terms of ferocity except for I mean the the character that come that that come to mind are just really high up there in terms of villains I mean, it's Eric Killmonger kind of kind of intensity pouring off of this this person in this moment he hasn't really got a scene like that though does he? it's been it's been a minute since I've seen Black Panther I mean, it's, but it's more the attitude is what I'm saying there in mm, terms of okay yeah yeah I have skills. And when he fights T'Challa at the waterfall, there's something about that character. I lived my entire life waiting for this moment. I trained, I lied, I killed just to get here. I killed in America, Afghanistan, Iraq. I took life from my own brothers and sisters right here on this continent. And all this death, just so I could kill you. There is so much aggressive energy pouring off him. It's yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's what it feels like with this character here. And that's hard yeah. to pull off. I mean, it's it's hard to play arrogance well, and and mm. and have it read as the character being arrogant, and not just for the audience member to be like, look at this. Guy. For it, for it to feel like the actor thinks they're doing a great performance versus the actor is playing mm-hmm. an arrogant character. Yeah, and 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 uh, this one's animated. It's a little different, but but in the case of Michael B. Jordan, in that he does such a killer job. Yeah, crafting that performance. You know who this is? I didn't think about the. It's the opposite side of the coin, but it's John Wick. Mm, yeah, I've not actually seen any of those, but I believe you. Yeah, 
art, you know, just that artistic violence that's very clever and shows high level skill and the move. And I know that Dave Filoni is like me that when we were five and we saw Empire Strikes Back and Luke is crawling through the vents and those vents have the circular cut you in half movements of the doors where you're just like this, (laughs) these might be dangerous. And he is, he's amputating people left and right here recently when the Mandalorian's first episode. say. <laughs> and then this one is wonderful of there's three, there's only three clones left. They're running for the blast doors. We know how these blast doors work from New Hope. They, they'll, they'll get you if you, if you get caught in them. The last clone is running for the blast door and Maul grabs his arm with the force and pulls his arm back through severs the arm so that he can pick up the amputated limb that has a radio on it. And the radio starts saying, Trooper, did you seal the doors? Trooper, if you read this, steal the door. We want to redirect his approach. Just that whole, from beginning to end, that hallway scene, again, just perfectly constructed, real creative in every move. He, he is a machine like you know what i mean like he he is bred to do that mm-hmm. like it's 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 <laughs> carnage carnage and and like the the reason that he has a, has been set free is to cause chaos and this is destructive chaos if if his goal was to get somewhere then a lot of these people wouldn't have been harmed the way that they are. But like cutting off that guy's arm in the mm-hmm. blast door is j- malicious for malicious sake. It's <laughs> carnage for its own sake. It's a, it's a game. Like he, yeah. he is playing a game. And that's exactly why he was released. Like this is the chaos that he, he is supposed to be perpetuating. And the reason he's unleashed to create carnage is twofold. Ahsoka needs to figure out what the hell's going on. And once she figures out what the hell's going on, she needs to find Rex. So so we cut to another hallway, and we see Rex and a set of clones running toward the mall attack. And then one of Ahsoka's droids pulls out, stops Rex. The others shut the door, trapping him inside. Hey, hey, out of the way. And then R7 pitches a hologram, and this time it's of Ahsoka. Rex, I think I know what's happening. I saw your report on Fives. It isn't your fault. You were programmed. Your mind was altered to do this when you were very young. I can help you. Your mind was altered to do this when you were very young. I isn't. I don't think that's meant as a crushing line, but that was. I would. That was the sort of line that I could imagine being a like kind of almost a trigger line. You had something happen to you when you were very young and it resulted in these kinds of behaviors, but I'm here to help you. That's it's almost pity. Oh yeah. I took, I took that as almost, it's like the sort of thing that a good counselor would say it's, it's, it's Robin Williams mm-hmm. would say this to Matt Damon kind of line is what I hear right. there. And that right. But the, the image of you are a strong man, you are perhaps the most capable soldier in the galaxy, and yet when you were very young, something happened to you. 
I, t- I mm-hmm. for whatever reason that the way that that was said just kind of popped for me. Yeah. That one missed me. That's super interesting. I, I just took it as that's those are the facts of, of that situation. But that's right. that's such an interesting read on that. This isn't your fault, and I'm not upset with you that you tried to kill me. Yeah. I mean, that is Robin Williams in, in Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. looking at the kid saying, it's not your, what happened is not your fault. Right. Yeah, I, I suppose I elevate because just how powerful those kinds of moments are, you know? In, in our relationships in, in film. Rex turns to threaten the droid. Where is she? Because he still has his mind bent on, on killing her. And Ahsoka from behind says, I'm right here. So good. Rex turns, sees her, and then we didn't see this coming. <laughs> the, the droid then shocks Rex from behind immobilizing him <laughs> we hear from the other side of the door they've got the commander bring the charges ahsoka says chief are all the doors sealed so the way is clear <laughs> okay let's get him to the medical bay ch33p because when you look at it it actually is the name cheap he does this with a couple of the droids <laughs> Filoni does when he voices a droid i think he makes them have a name Anyway, CH33P is also known as cheap. And it's the same thing as it's 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 humanizing them and individualizing them. Yeah. So they're they're given numbers and and like call signs as their names. Yes. Just like the clones. Just like CT5555. Yeah. I didn't put that together. That's exactly right. Whose name becomes fives. Which to remind people from earlier in the episode because of the three fives. Four fives. Yeah. The four fives, that's why his name is five. No, <laughs> it's an excellent point, though. When George Lucas talks about R2-D2 and writes down his name, he always spells it out A-R-T-O-O. It's not a number. It's a name, R2. Mm-hmm. And and for the exact same reason. I, I hadn't put that together with the clones. Again, in a future episode, Daniel and I spend a ton of time on... on the numbers being converted into names and how this is a real move in the identity and self-understanding and self-actualization of these characters. Same thing for droids, because droids have souls. Okay, let's get him to the medical bay. Where are we at? A lot of trying to break through barriers in order to get a, to Ahsoka stuff. There, there's a horror film kind of trope here where you're hiding in a room and the bad guys are trying to break down the doors to get you. Also, uh, um, war scenes where you've been beaten back to mm. back behind a protective barrier. You're back in Helm's Deep. Back to the keep. And there's the the pulse of the things are coming for for you, and you need to do some sort of task really quick. And here it's you have to discover all the things going on in inside <laughs> Rex's brain. Here it's you have to perform a surgery. Yeah. Right. Quickly, in someone's head, you have to find a chip that'll possibly make the person brain dead if you remove it. Who knows? Well, the they throw Rex down on the on a table and he gets cat scanned. R seven, run a scan. See if you can find the inhibitor chip the report talked about. And we see the scan, and it's not pulling anything up. 
because these are well hidden. Everything's hidden when, <laughs> in regard to Palpatine, yeah? Information that if you have not seen the arc about the inhibitor chip, the, the chip is, it itself is yeah. organic. So and, and that's worthwhile saying. Easy to hide. Yeah, that these are made out of tissue, the, the chip that they're seeking. But the chip has to be there. Check again. Because they don't find one. And all the while, clone troopers are assembling outside, trying to break through. The droid goes to the door. How close are they? Gigi, if they override the door controls, you have to reseal it fast. And again, just tension, tension, tension. R7, anything? You gotta do the thing. The villains are coming. And then there's a move that occurs here. And it's again one of those things, longtime Star Wars fan, I just didn't see this coming in terms of how they were going to use yeah. the tools that are on the table. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. There are clear tools on the table, and they picked one up, and they said this is the one that we're going to use to move the story from here to there. And Ahsoka comes over, puts her hands on the side of Rex's head, and begins speaking a mantra over him. And it's a, I assume now, it's an ancient Jedi mantra that we, we see first in Rogue One, and she says, I'm one with the Force, and the Force is with me. And she keeps repeating this and repeating this and repeating this. And then Re what's, what's super clever here is that Rex joins in. And there's, again, they are consistently connecting these two characters in ways, it's not a romantic relationship, it is it is fellow combatants who have a long history. They're both young and yet just depthy connection of of saying common prayers together in this moment. And then suddenly the discovery is made of the chip. Got any thoughts on this scene? Done super well. Like you said, have haven't just sitting there watching it, I did not know how they were gonna do it. I was like, Okay. Really? <laughs> You know, they obviously can't just start cutting into this guy's head. First of all, this is technically a children's show, so they're not going to do that. That's disgusting. But but also, like, to what end, you know, wh where do you go from that? And to go that route was, was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. For me, Star Wars is always best when it's mystical. And it's really hard to achieve, apparently. But this is one of the, spa the spots where they just do it real well. The scenes with Yoda and Dagobah, the scenes with Chirrut Imwe, when he is saying this same mantra as he uh, steps out into the field of battle, steps into no man's land. Even when Obi-Wan is just saying the basic description of uh, power, what is it? To what, it's a force field that surrounds us, protects us, yeah. binds us all together. That, and, yeah. It's what gives a Jedi his power. That's how that starts. And, and, that's, and it's, it's such, I bet you it's the case that many people who are our ages could recite that almost as quickly as they could, you know, the Pledge of, the, of Allegiance. Well, there's also, um, going back to what we said earlier, and this might have been the previous episode about uh, the fact of her thinking of the Jedi Order more as a religion. Mm -hmm. Like th this ties in. I I feel like this mantra. The first time we ever hear it is is when uh, Chewit Imwe mm -hmm. says it in Rogue One. I don't remember ever hearing it before in the Star Wars 
movie or visual universe. Because uh, I don't think it's in there. Yeah, no, I think that's new. Right. So, so tying, bringing it in in this moment, f- for me, it reminds me that while Ahsoka may not be interested in being a priest of the Jedi Order anymore, she is still deeply invested in the religion Mm -hmm. that they are supposed to be associated with Mm -hmm. and the um like you said the the mystical quality of that religion here is one of the moments where it it displays itself that is different from what maul just did but still as Mm. powerful like he's he's unconscious and saying these words with her. And somehow it helps them find an organic chip that's in his brain. And like that's there's there's a powerful mystical religious element to this that yeah again d- separates itself from the Jedi order quote unquote but is still tied to the greater religion. Yep. I don't want to oversell this because I don't know that this is what the director wants to do, but this is an exorcism. Yeah. It's, it's the, this person is possessed by some sort of power and the prayer is what unleashes the, you know, the element that is keeping them ensnared. Yeah. And that's just a, and that can cut across traditions as well. But again, I've, I found it really emotionally moving. Well, it also has a, in moments of desperation, people return to their faith in 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 film television real life you know what i mean like there, there's a there's a sometimes that's what you come back to even yep. if you don't necessarily think it's going to work maybe you do maybe you don't but in in moments of extreme pain suffering desperation people return to that and we kind of hinted at that in our last episode that when ahsoka is told that everything in the galaxy is going to fall apart that everything you love is going to burn the the thing she thinks about first, the thing she cares about most is her friendship with Anakin. She says, before I go down this bad path, I need you to tell me what what, what, what is going to happen with Anakin Skywalker. Foundational stuff. Friendship, faith, much bigger than all the trappings of, you know, government structures and how power is used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ahsoka says, R7, get him under and remove that thing. I don't know if it will work, but if it doesn't, we're dead anyway. The doors are breached, are being breached. You can hear Princess Leia in the background saying, They're coming through! Soka moves towards the doors. Great scene here again. Ignites her blades, the music intensifies, the doors begin to raise, blaster fire pours into the medical bay. Soka Force throws three clones back. More clones take their spot. Ahsoka Force throws another set into the door, pushing them all back again. And then from behind, we see that Rex is awakening and clearly going for his guns. And Ahsoka is beating back laser fire with her lightsabers. And one of the bolts hits her hand and she loses the lightsaber. Yeah, because you don't know what he's getting up to do. And from behind, we see Rex aiming his guns at her and he fires and the shots go right past her head and they kill three clones in front of her and the door is shut. Rex, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, kid. I'm okay. Sorry for what happened earlier. I almost killed you. How widespread is this? Ahsoka. 
It's all of us. The entire Grand Army of the Republic has been ordered to hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. We look back at the doors. Clones are seeking to cut in. And the episode fades to credits. Chun chun chun. One of the nice things about I'd argue most of the people who are probably watching this having seen episode three and knowing a lot about Star Wars, you you don't have to have so much clunky, slowing, uh, plot slowing exposition. Like he can just say that. Yeah. And we know exactly mm-hmm. what that means, as opposed to if this was a brand new story, this would be 10 minutes of dialogue. Yeah, true. But because we already know, it just it can happen, and it's so perfect. Or even uh, a montage of killing, of clones killing Jedi that we've mm-hmm. never seen before, that we're not necessarily emotionally invested. Well, in. and that's and that's the thing. I, you know, watching the Order sixty six scene from Episode three in just in prepping for this arc and an episode. I care about it a little more now that I've seen Clone Wars and, and feel for some of these Jedi, but th- I remember the first time I've seen it and then the maybe two other times I've watched episode three since then, I don't f- you don't feel much for him other than just like, oh, 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 there he goes. Ooh, ooh, what a way to die. That's rough. <laughs> and I, I honestly, like in the first couple of viewings of episode three and that moment it was confusing Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah because it comes out of nowhere there's no explanation about it there's no moment of real like the only one that you legitimately care about when or the the two that you legitimately care about is the the guys who are shooting at obi-wan yeah Mm -hmm. and uh yoda both of whom survive (laughs) yeah yeah we know they live (laughs) I think it's really poorly executed in the first, in in its first attempt. But then giving us this moment where someone is able to come back from the brink of his mind control and say, I'm sorry, I tried to kill you. By the way, this is everyone. This is all millions of us. Yep. And, and the dauntingness. Like mm-hmm. the fact that it's all of the clones means that there's, no chance of stopping it. There's no chance of getting out from under it. It's over. Yeah. We've said it before and we'll say it again. This this series does such a beautiful job of atoning for the mistakes of the prequel trilogy. Hmm. I imagine we're going to see a lot of more material added to this too because with the Kenobi series, there's already stuff that's been created in Rebels it may be the case that they do some stuff with the Ahsoka series because there may be a time travel element in the Ahsoka TV show. You'll find out about that later. I forgot. I would not be surprised if in the Ahsoka series they're not playing out a handful of different moments throughout the last 20 years, but from the places where we see her in Rebels to the places we see her in The Mandalorian. What is she doing you know, during these years. Okay. And it might be the case that they're playing that story out over time a okay. little bit more than, so those are just guesses. I have no idea, but I, we'll, we'll talk quite a bit about that when, uh, when we get to the end of Rebels. So, okay, so timeline jumping, not, necess- not like time travel. Don't worry about it. 
Don't worry about it. I it sounds bad to me also <laughs> when I say it that way, but it, it's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Now that I remember, he's talking about it. Just don't worry about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> this is how you get all four of the Infinity Stones. Sometimes. Ah, six. And I liked that. Time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the past. Well, last last thoughts on this episode. Really good penultimate episode. Come on. I hated the movie. <laughs> And I had a really hard time getting into this show when I started it. And I remember watching season seven for the first time. The opening scene of season seven Mm -hmm. is glorious. It's animation at its fine. Oh man, it's so good. This episode I know a lot of things happen in season seven that that speak to this as well, but the first few seasons of this show are for children, and this season is not. And, and like I realize it's still an animated show and it's it's aimed for children. I I get that, but it it's still like like Darth Maul cuts off somebody's arm in one of the blast doors, and like right. yeah, that's the the complexity and depth and like this show grew up with its run and i really appreciate where it came to and and how how much energy they put into making this an important part of the star wars universe as opposed to just a cartoon to get people Mm -hmm. to watch truth last words uh no None. I think uh, I agree with TJ. I think that's really, I think that's really spot on and 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 really cool. Good. As with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion. To friends who love a galaxy far, far away. The music's by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gorenson, and the great Kevin Kiner. You can find our binge list, at least what we've released online, and you can share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. We're going to wrap up the arc next time with uh, the very last season of The Clone Wars. So watch it if you haven't, and we're going to discuss it. You've done the right thing by coming to me. Only together can we survive this. He's Daniel Mothershed. He's TJ Wilson. I'm not here to team up with you. Now go cause some chaos. It's what you're good at. Huzzah! So you don't care if we die? Oh, man. (laughs) Do I have to cut off somebody's arm? Well, you might need to cut off somebody's arm because because this is the way. This is the way. (laughs) (laughs) This is the way. All right, you guys are the best. Thank you for the extra 
time. TJ, I was entirely wrong. Apparently, if you're going to record with us, four hours. It's a thing. Uh, I'm not at all surprised about that. My wife is texting me about it. Uh, she texted me an hour ago. You nerds have been talking about Star Wars for three plus hours. 